There's a lot of stuff from the military that carries over into fitness. Do you see a lot of those principles carrying over as a business owner? Because it's, it's very different. You know, you're passionate about fitness, but being a business owner is something extra on top of that. Absolutely. A lot of the skills that I learned uh, in the military, you know, discipline, not needing someone to necessarily motivate me, but being a self-starter. I've learned some great lessons from, you know, some of my mentors and, and leaders in the military about, you know, being a man of your word, being prompt, being diligent. And if you give your word, you know, if you say you're going to do something, do it, you know, always giving 100 percent. And uh, just those basic principles of waking up every day, getting in a fight and giving your best fight has just proven to be invaluable. Thank you for listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit guyswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that. All right. Welcome to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. I'm Joe. And today I have a guest host filling in, Nolan. Howdy. Howdy. Thanks for filling in. No problem. Just wanted to let you guys know our regular co-host, Josh, the guy of Doers of Stuff, was playing basketball and tore his ACL. And so he's currently laid up, recovering. And Nolan, who's been on the show before, right. a lawyer extraordinaire from Fuqua <laughs> Arena, is filling in for Josh. And today's guest, super excited to welcome Kenny Ragsdale of Frontline Fitness. Yes, sir. Thanks and, for um, having me, Jill. Yeah, I get to also produce a podcast. And so I was just on one and got to hear a little bit of your story and thought it was so fascinating that I wanted to get you on Guys Who Do Stuff and talk a little bit more about what happened in in your kind of your story of All right. entrepreneurship. So you started out in the military. You've been in 20 plus years, correct? That's right. I, right after high school, joined the military, uh, United States Army. And like I said, I come from a long standing uh, military family. My dad was a uh, World War II vet. I'm the youngest of five. I have three older brothers. Each one of my brothers served in uh, one branch of service. Right. My oldest brother, Vietnam vet. So was there like, ever a moment you weren't going into the military? You know, I was so, <laughs> I guess I say enamored and impressed by what I saw, you know, my yeah. dad and my brothers that I knew two things uh, early in life. One, I was going to serve in one branch of service or another. I didn't know the length of time. I didn't know it would turn out to be almost 30 years. Right. And then the other thing is that I would have some type of business, always had that entrepreneurial itch. Mm-hmm. So as I told you previously, they used to have this program way back in the day. Again, I I joined 1989. It was called the Delayed Entry Program. You could actually sign up uh, to go into the military during your junior year of high school. And I did that. So I was ready. All I had to do was just meet the rest of the requirements. And I was all so Which was once, graduate. Yeah, graduate. <laughs> <laughs> so do I, they still do that? Do they still take know, kids in high school? I don't know if they take uh, take them that young. I think it may be you actually have to be a senior. I bet now. you sat down with a recruiter and you're like, well, here, my dad, my grandpa. He's like, yeah, you're going to. I'm sure. It was kind of a no brainer. We already have your uniform. It's in the back. Absolutely. We're just waiting on you. <laughs> <laughs> and so you actually mentioned in the previous podcast, which I thought was incredible, just like a testimony to the kind of personality you must have. You started out in the military in one of the lowest ranks. That's right. And then you had a whole career and you ended up leaving as a major? Yes. So I started out enlisted. I went from, I uh, spent what, 11, 11, 12 years enlisted. So I went from a private E1, lowest rank you can possibly have in the army and uh, made my way up the ranks to be a senior NCO, Sergeant First Class E7. 
And I just felt like I could have a greater impact on the commission officer side. I wanted to be more involved in the planning, the operations side of things prior to receiving a plan as a senior NCO to just execute and oversee. I wanted to be more at the ground level, being able to implement change at a higher level, I guess you can say. Yeah. Yeah, So I just, I made the change. Started over as a brand new lieutenant, Butterball, <laughs> Butterbar, and worked my way through the ranks, held all the key assignments, platoon leader, uh, company command, commanded two companies downrange doing yeah. deployment, and um, held all the key staff assignments. And uh, yeah, retired as a major in June of 2017. June of 2017. Clocked out. Turned the page, sir. <laughs> so does it feel like, I can't relate it, I can't even... I don't think I have a frame of reference. I think of retirement as like the old guy that's just now going to sit and watch TV. You're clearly not that. Mm. I mean, what did what did retirement feel like for you? You're only, you're a 40, what? 48. 48. 48. With the time I retired, I was, uh, what, 46. It was a bit intimidating, to be honest, because all yeah. I had ever done my entire adult life, it was very structured, regimented. It was, I had grown comfortable in my environment. Sure. So to think of having to make that huge transition to do something that I had never done before and, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a frame of reference. Right. It was very intimidating. Did you know exactly what you wanted to do when you retired? I did not know exactly what I wanted to do. I had to spend, I spent a great deal of time reflecting. I won't say a great deal of time because, you know, you walk down that, that road of what do I enjoy most? Mm-hmm. If I had to do anything else outside of uniform and I could actually make a living doing it, what would it be? So for me, that process was relatively simple because I kept going back to fitness. This is, you know, this yeah. is my passion. And you got to do some of that while you were enlisted, correct? Absolutely. So I kind of got a chance to test the waters with the safety net of the military underneath me. The Army has these, for the lack of better terms, personal trainers in uniform. And uh, we're called master fitness trainers. So the Army, at least during that time, early 90s, they'd send you away to a school. You go there for three or four weeks and spend some time with sports physiologists, sports medicine folks, nutritionists, dietitians, just a, a panel of very smart fitness and health people. And they would pour into you for those three to four weeks for eight to 12 hours a day. And uh, you would go back to your unit assignment. Army does everything like boot camp. Huh? Oh, man. <laughs> like you mean, had three weeks. <laughs> right. All this information. Sink or swim. <laughs> it was intense, but it was very beneficial. Yeah. I mean, you, you learned a lot. You go back to your unit and you were the guy or gal. You were the fitness guru. Yeah. And so you got to actually train people in the military. That's right. And they had a lot on the line, right? This was more than just, oh, I think I want to shed a few pounds. Right. This was my <laughs> This was a New Year's resolution. It's no. January <laughs> right now. I saw like 20 people running on my way into work today, and I'm like, we won't see you in a week. But <laughs> Good luck. No, this, uh, this was people's uh, career on the line. This was their livelihood. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people I dealt with, the, the population was they could not you know, meet the Army's physical fitness standards. And if you can't do that after a couple of tries, a couple of attempts, a certain period of time, What were the standards back then? I'm curious. Oh, well, it varies. It's by age, gender. Okay. Well, that's kind of, that's good to hear. That's a little bit more fair. It's not (laughs) like, it's 400 squat thrusts. (laughs) Is a squat thrust a thing? (laughs) Yeah. Three events though were the push-up, sit-ups, and then the two-mile run. Okay. So how is that, I mean, training people, civilians now, is that a big difference? I mean, I imagine... A lot less on the line. Well, initially it was for me just dealing with the civilian population because it's a totally different mindset. Uh, When you're working with people in the military, they don't really have a choice. 
you know, you say, this is what we're going to do, then that's what we're going to do. Yeah. And I can just remember <laughs> thinking to myself, man, I'm not going to make it <laughs> when I'm telling somebody, a brand new client, okay, you know, we're going to do burpees for one minute. And they just end up looking at me like, you'll be doing them by yourself. <laughs> and I can remember telling my wife, you know, wow, some of these people, they, they don't do what I ask them to do or right. what I tell them to do. She's like, well, welcome to the civilian world. <laughs> They're like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> it's an option now. Yeah, very much so. All right. So you, what was going on like personally when you decided it was going to be personal fitness? Did you have any other job offers, any other things you were considering? I did. I had some really good corporate offers. I had a, a really good friend that could, could, they offered to uh, bring me on board at the Pentagon. So I'd have been doing something very similar to the last job that I held in uniform. I was a brigade uh, S4, which is logistics. So logistician. Yeah. So I tracked, monitored everything you can think of on the logistics side of the house, major movements, all types of supplies, et cetera, for a unit of about 4,500 soldiers. Wow. Yeah. So massive moves. Then other offers that were very appealing that, that I were interested in, I was interested in, but I knew that... I did not want to put on a shirt and tie after spending nearly 30 years doing what I did. Yeah. Always had that entrepreneurial itch, bug, that, you know, growing up, having various entrepreneurial ventures. Yeah. Uh, it feels like logistics might be the opposite of entrepreneurialism. It's somebody else's <laughs> thing, somebody else's game, and yeah. you just make it more efficient. It. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that was what was presented to me as I, you know, got closer and closer to retirement. It's just a real sobering thought. I can remember vividly just some of the feelings that I had uh, when I was on leave. I had a lot, a lot of time to think and plan yeah. what my next move was going to be. And in that time, you also got into a little bit of bodybuilding, correct? Well, I actually did my first show before I retired from yeah. the Army. And that was, boy, you want to talk about terrifying. <laughs> I could jump out of airplanes and helicopters, but my first time walking out on stage in a Speedo <laughs> in front of four or 500 people, man. So that's really how it works. There's like 400 people in the room. Yeah, you're in an auditorium like, or, you know, like they a, just, there's like six people that should be there, right? Judges <laughs> doing their job. And then there's like 400 perverts. Is that <laughs> I'm sure there's Speedo some fans. of those in attendance as well. <laughs> Family, friends, et cetera. Your, yeah. family, your family go out and support you in your Absolutely. Family? They yeah. sure did. It's not as bad when you walk out in the lineup because you're out there with 10, 12 plus other, sure. you know, other guys to your left and your right, you know, and you guys are battling it out. But it's a mandatory requirement that you do a one minute solo routine. Okay. And that can involve some type of dance or whatever. Yeah, that's terrifying. Now, that <laughs> is the time where the pucker factor goes through the ceiling. Yeah. What was your routine? Was it a dance? Uh, you guys ever see the movie Hitch? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you remember when he said, let me see what you got. Will, Will Smith asked uh -huh. the guy, I forgot his name on the, um, on uh, the show. Kevin James in real life. Yeah, yeah. So he started doing his his dance moves and Will was like, nope, stop. <laughs> you just stay right here. Right. <laughs> you stay right in this box. That's what I did. Yeah. I kept it really simple. <laughs> nice, nice. The advice of Will Smith saves <laughs> one another person. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Why fitness? What motivates you? Why is it something that's you're passionate about instead of logistics or going to work at the Pentagon, which sounds cool? Well, you know, one, it just became a part of life for me. It was just part of my uh, duty requirement, you know, for the 28 years to stay fit to fight. And in doing so, 
it was just something I excelled in. It became natural for me. You know, some people are just naturally gifted at certain things. Yeah. And uh, that just seemed to be one of the things that I excelled at. And not only that, but fitness had a such a significant impact in my life personally. Believe it or not, not judging on how I look now, but I was my current height, six foot one, and I weighed a whopping 130 pounds on a good day. So I gave a new meaning to skinny. <laughs> and that's uh, when you enlisted. So that's, that's 18, right. 18 year old. Exactly. Year? I was 18 and uh, I mean, I, I, I hated being skinny, but I could, I could deal with that in terms of, you know, cardiovascular activities. I had no problems, but when it came to the more rigorous physical challenges that I faced going through training, you know, with carrying the 45, 50 plus pounds of equipment on your back, plus all the other battle route, a weapon, ammo, et cetera. Yeah. And having to do a, a ruck march of six, eight, 10, 12 miles, I struggled miserably. And I was determined to overcome that and not allow that to defeat me. So again, I just, I researched everything I could get my hands on. Of course, back then there was no internet. There was none of that. You couldn't just say, hey, Siri. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Now we got YouTube videos for everything. Yeah, exactly. But I did that and I saw the response that my body had. I grew, I got bigger, I got stronger. I was able to do things and I excelled and I was hooked from there. What kind of uh, timeline did it take for you to see physical changes in your body? I probably put on an additional 10, 15 pounds uh, in about a six month period. Yeah. Just in changing my nutrition alone did that. And then obviously with weight training. A lot of people say that, like, it's all about the nutrition. Like people go to the gym. I'm sure you see that with your clients now. Yes. Uh, you could have two people put them on the exact same plan and get different results. Exactly. You could be doing the same types of exercises. One of the things that I get to co-host this podcast with Brandon that you were on called The Fire Within, and I'm learning just a bunch about like fitness and, and the industry, and it's crazy. And I wanted to ask you about how stuff always changes. Like it's hard to trust anything that you hear people say about the way you should eat. <laughs> One day the yolk is great. It's the best thing for you. <laughs> the next year is, you know, is yeah. death. If you have too many yolks, and then people you gotta... are like, you know, fat's bad for you. And then now it's like, put butter in your coffee. You know? <laughs> it's, it's just hard to tell like who's telling the truth or who to trust when it comes to that. But I tell you, it's, it's easy to trust somebody that looks like you. It's right. like you're doing something So basically right. you are telling me, I can't go to the gym one time and get a six pack ass. Absolutely. I'm always disappointed. I go one time and nothing. <laughs> so that must've been a big motive. You mentioned that that was kind of like a big motivator for you actually seeing the changes in your body. Absolutely. Um, now you've actually got to train a lot of people and I'm sure you've seen crazy results in them. How does that make you feel? That's one of the things that really keeps me passionate and uh, motivated with, with this job is just the transformation, the uh, sense of accomplishment, the emotion, the achievement that yeah. the clients make, that whole process they go through to know that I had a part in that, to share you know that process with them, to be, for lack of better terms, in the foxhole, in the battle with them, you know, being, a, being their battle buddy. Yeah. It is a phenomenal feeling. Mm-hmm. There's a romanticism of like being in peak athletic shape mm-hmm. that doesn't get matched with a sense of determination from the majority of us. Do you feel like everybody has it inside of them? What are you looking for in people where you're like, man, this is, this is going to work for this person? Well, I can tell you the people that give me pause from the beginning is the people that come in and they tell me up front, their list of what they don't do. 
<laughs> that right there is an immediate. Just take a <laughs> a collective pause, and I, you know, I go ahead. I still give them the same, you know, attention to detail and service, etc. Right. But you learn to pick out the ones that are really serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people that kind of hem and haw to, for me to even get them in the office or to the gym, just for the initial assessment. Those are the ones that typically wash out within the first couple of months. Uh, the ones that seek me out, they're prompt. They're there. They knock the assessment out. Uh, they're engaged. They are very inquisitive. They have a lot of questions. Right. They want to know, mm-hmm. you know, what what should I do in terms of my nutrition? They're just chomping at the bit to get started. Those are the ones that typically do very well. Yeah. Uh, and they're still with me today. So it sounds like the main difference is motivation. Motivation. Yeah. Now, I've had a few sleepers. I've had a few people, and that's caused me also to like just take a nap in the middle of the morning. <laughs> Sign me up for that. I'm good with that one. Just laying down on an elliptical, still rolling there, just kind of. <laughs> one of my early uh, PT clients, young lady, she was uh, 23 at the time. She came to see me. She's 6'3", 6'4", and uh, very bad posture. Just, you know, self-esteem was just really low. Mm. And uh, when she talked, she held her head down. She wouldn't really look at you. Yeah. And in four months, and a lot of this was just changing her nutritional habits. She lost over, was it three months? She lost over 40 pounds. Wow. I mean, the weight just dropped off. And uh, to see her today, totally different person. Her posture, she's up. Her per- She just blossomed into yeah. a brand new person. She finished, she went back to college, finished her undergrad. She's in graduate school now. Mm-hmm. But I, my point was, she was a sleeper. <laughs> I think I just kind of misjudged uh, her body language and la- maybe lack of enthusiasm. She was just really shy. Yeah. And once we got started, that's what she, you know, she blossoms, as I just said. Yeah. I think there's one of the things you said that I think is one of the most poignant lessons that I've learned as a business owner in the last year I remember reading, I think it was two, three years ago, I read the book Switch. I'm blanking on who the author is, but I'll put a link in the show notes. I think Heath is their name or something like that. Daniel Heath, maybe. No, I'm just trying to guess. Maybe I'll pull that out because <laughs> that's probably not right. But anyways, the premise of the book, or it wasn't the premise of the book. It was just one of the points of the book that really stood out to me was essentially that self-control is an exhaustible resource. And so the point was kind of like the premise of a lot of these books on habit that you read now by like James Clear. Um, like how do you do habit stacking and how do you make it really easy to get a habit going? And you were mentioning that being fit to fight now working out really isn't like something that requires a lot of extra effort for you because it's in that habit mode That's right. and you don't have to exhaust a bunch of uh, self-control so that you can get yourself to the gym because you've, you've established this lifelong habit of that. It's so interesting as a business owner to think through like, Because I think of the analogy like this, I'm trying to grow a book of business. This is my kind of first real year in business last year. And so the amount of effort that it took to get stuff started was like, like the amount of effort it takes to get a locomotive going. It was just so much work and I'm doing, I'm putting in hours and I'm doing the stuff and it's been about a year now. And now I'm doing the same stuff. I've been consistent and now I'm getting different results, but I'm doing the same stuff. Do you think that's a bit of the connection as to why people make it and some people don't? Because seeing results, I guess, is probably what people really want to see. The, yeah, that right there is the big thing. Once people start to see the results they're looking for. Yeah. That, I think that's true in business too. Yeah, it's, that's a huge you can only You can only just work so long pushing the ball up the hill. They're about the Without rock. seeing light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Without seeing some kind of change. Uh-huh. But it doesn't happen overnight. You gotta, it doesn't happen overnight. And that's that. the thing. Mm-hmm. Just trying to get people to believe that concept that if you just trust 
the process. Yeah. If I had a dime for every time I said that to a client, to the same client, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd be rich already. But <laughs> but that's that's the truth. To your point, you have to go in and just be diligent with those simple principles. It's not always rocket science. It's not always the, some big genius idea or, yeah. you know, something like that. It's not something like you're doing something special. Mm-hmm. It's just doing the basics routinely and being consistent and diligent with that daily yeah. grinding it out. And so that's you, so tough for us. There's a lot of stuff in the military that carries over into fitness. Do you see a lot of those principles carrying over in, as a business owner? Because it's, it's very different. You know, you're passionate about fitness, but being a business owner is something extra on top of that. Absolutely. A lot of the skills that I learned uh, in the military, you know, discipline, not needing someone to necessarily motivate me, but being a self-starter. I've learned some great lessons from, you know, some of my mentors and and leaders in the military about, you know, being a man of your word, being prompt, being diligent. And if you give your word, you know, if you say you're going to do something, do it, you know, always giving 100 percent. And just those basic principles of waking up every day, getting in a fight and giving your best fight has just proven to be invaluable. This show is produced at Podcast Carry, a professional studio making podcasting simple and fun. Located in Vibe Coworking in Cary, North Carolina. Want to start a podcast to create great content for your business and establish yourself as a thought leader in your city? Go to podcastcarry.com. Connect with your audience. Grow your brand. So kind of walk me through the creation of Frontline Fitness. That was a very interesting process. I used a lot of skills and techniques and processes that I learned in the military. Uh, specifically, we had this process when we generate generated orders. It's called the military decision-making process. And it's a very methodical step-by-step process to analyze a mission that's been given to you from higher for you to produce your own mission and then put it into execution. And yeah. that's from everything from communication, logistics, just down to who's kicking in the door, that that level of fidelity. Yeah. So I use that. Was that exciting since you were the one giving the order? Or was that challenging? Because it was like, somebody needs to tell me what to do. (laughs) No, actually, it required a a lot more research on my part because I really didn't know, you know, what all being a a health club owner entailed. Right. So I spent a lot of time doing a lot of research. I would tell anyone, you know, hopefully you would do it anyway, but before you take that first step to just do as much research as you can do. And I took it beyond just reading books and uh, reading information on the internet. I actually went out, I reached out to several uh, small health club owners in my, in my area and made appointments with them. I got on their calendar and I just told them who I was, what I was looking to do. And if I could just come and shadow them for a little bit, I'd stay out of the way. I'd be that fly on the wall. And surprisingly, most of all of them said, yeah, come on by. And I was able to do that. And it saved me tons of time and thousands and thousands of dollars just from learning things like, you know, where to get the floor from, you know, the, sure. the, the rubber floor for your facility. There were different pieces of equipment that I had researched and was prepared to purchase where after talking with another gym owner, he had a connect and I was able to save just on one piece of equipment, like $10,000. Wow. So it paid, it paid me huge dividends to go through that process. And what I would do is I had the the same list of questions that 
I wanted to sit down and talk with each of these business owners, I would send it to them ahead of time to give them time to actually give it some due diligence so that I could get, I oh, thought yeah. that would give me a better product. Yeah. That way they knew you weren't just coming in to try and steal stuff. You were yeah. legitimate. <laughs> like, Absolutely. What can I learn from you? There's a certain point in everybody's industry where we don't want to give away our secret sauce. Mm -hmm. Did you find that people were like, they would share up to a point and then be like, but I'm not going to tell you about that. <laughs> I did run into that with a few and I understood that totally. Right. One thing that was consistent across the board with just about all of them that agreed to sit down and talk with me is it was all prefaced on as long as I was not planning on setting up shop within a three to five three to five mile radius. Yeah, that's a big thing located. in that world, right? Yes. Like non-compete clauses and Absolutely. be a certain amount away from me and then we can be best friends. They helped me in my planning process significantly. I went through a similar thing and I wish I would have done what you did, but I, I decided to run down a different route. I interviewed clients. So I just sat down with people and said, hey, I'm, I want to start a business in this field and you've done business with those people. I just want to talk. How did that go? And I had a set of questions and pretty just kind of interviewed potential clients. Some of them turned into clients, although that wasn't the thing. I just wanted to learn like what were the pain points because I wanted to be good at offering the service I was about to offer. And so I wanted to know like what people that were actually buying the service thought about it instead of testing just my assumptions on it. And people were super generous and just, and it was crazy that, cause I got consistent results. Did you find you got consistent answers like across the board, like these things just stood out and you're like, oh man, this is the way to do it. For the most part, uh, things that vary when you're looking at the uh, fitness industry specifically, like things like the type of gym software that was used to, sure. to manage the health club, you know, what their primary focus was. And one of the questions that I had, you know, what were their biggest obstacles in starting their, their health club? Yeah. And so those varied. One that was fairly consistent was uh, where to use the capital at. Okay. Yeah. That's something that I found to be pretty consistent. Was it equipment? <laughs> equipment. How big do I go? How much do I start out with? Do I just go with the bare minimum? Yeah. And boy, you want to talk about hindsight. Wow. If I had to do all over again, I, there's a lot of things that I, that, that I would change. Yeah. Yeah. I think anybody that's introspective or retrospective has that set of things. I've only been in business for a year now and I would have done, I would have spent January through June completely differently. Had I known then what I know now. Absolutely. <laughs> How long have you guys had the law office open? Nolan? So we've been about four or five years, like coming up on five years. And you guys and just hired a new employee. We did. We opened stuff. two new offices. Two new offices. So wow. Uh, Congratulations. Growing pains Congrats. a little bit, but I mean, I, I do the same thing. I reflect back and part of me says I would never want to go through it again, but it, it was great in the moment. But reflecting back, I, I think, you know, the first year we did so much and you, you don't see it when you're in the middle of it. But reflecting back on the battle that you had, I mean, yeah. it's is significant. So. I think that's a thing that people leave out about the entrepreneurial experience. Like I was mentioning earlier, like you were saying, just I did so much because that's what it takes to get something up off the ground. Mm -hmm. um, that's I, a journey. I left a perfectly good, well-paying job to start start my own business. And so I like to joke with people when they're like, how's it going? I'm like, great. I make way less money and work way more. <laughs> but you're happier. But I'm happier. Yeah, that's always the caveat it's always that, that kind of goes in there. But on that, the flip that side so of that. true. Yeah. yeah. In terms of the hours. It is. It's a ton of hours when you're getting started. And I don't think it's really let up for me yet. I'm one year in. 
But now that I'm a little bit older, more mature, and I kind of know some of the stuff we've been talking about, I've kind of put a limit on it. Like in, <laughs> in three years, it needs to be this. Right. Or I'm going to have to reevaluate and be like, yeah. what am I doing wrong? Well, people don't realize too, <laughs> you know, like fitness and things like that is the passion. And that's only one part of being a business owner. Absolutely. You know, that's, it's like working two different jobs yeah. at the same time. You know, the, <clears throat> the business side, you may not get passion and joy out of creating spreadsheets and have to right. deal with uh, budget decisions. But I mean, that's an important part of it. You still have to keep the books. You still have to, unless you have a staff, but right now I'm a, I'm a one man band here. Mm-hmm. So marketing, marketing takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And if it's, you have to really weigh uh, the costs, you know, benefits, because if, if it may be easier for me to just outsource it as opposed to spend, you know, 20, 30 hours a week, you know, working on a marketing plan. Mm-hmm. So it's a tough decision there. It's like, do you spend money and outsource it? Yeah. Yeah. Or do you spend time? And that's equally valuable. I mean, absolutely. A, and I'm not certain that the same principle that we're talking about translates to marketing, but I have a sneaking suspicion that it does. <laughs> like there's, there's an effort that goes into your marketing before it starts to pay off. Like mm-hmm. for example, when I learned this, I was actually frustrated and also thinking, oh, that's pretty smart. But like Google business, for example, when you buy a new domain and you get it listed and you're like, hey, we're here, we're a law office. Google puts your website in a sandbox for eight months before they let it start ranking because they figure you're new. Most people fail. (laughs) And so a lot of business owners are like, oh, working so hard. And it's like, doesn't matter until it hits that certain point. And uh, you'll learn stuff like that. And you're like, oh gosh. But then you got people with established super old domains that are getting traffic that blows yours away and they haven't Mm -hmm. done jack in six years. And you're like, ah, how does this work? (laughs) Trying to figure it out. And And then you're like me, you don't know how any of that works. So you're just winging it. I would think comparative to the fitness industry and that there's somebody like we mentioned YouTube earlier is like a great place to go as a resource. Well, now YouTube's kind of like Wikipedia and it's like, do I even trust that? Like, yes, there's so many different like wackadoos that just have a YouTube channel that then get a bunch of following. And then you're like, I wonder if there's any science behind this. And I can watch 10 hours of YouTube video (laughs) on SEO and still not be able to do it. And so, and you'll get 10 hours of conflicting advice. Exactly. Like, do this. Don't do this. <laughs> this is stupid. This is why you shouldn't do that. Exactly. And uh, yeah, it can be, it can be a lot to wade through, but I think the overarching premise and the encouragement for people out there in the entrepreneurial space is that there's no replacement for just doing it. That's just right. Doing the thing, mm-hmm. learning on your own. You're, you're going to have, you're going to look back in a year and be like, well, I wish I would have known that <laughs> that's going to happen. Always. But you just, you move on, you learn and you apply the lessons as you learn them. That's right. So yeah. one of the things you mentioned early on, you knew you were going into the military. You knew you had the entrepreneurial spirit. Was it, you know, family had owned businesses before and you'd seen that or is just a personality thing or what, what made you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, a little bit of both, actually. My dad, he owned his own real estate company okay. uh, from the time that, man, I can remember since I was a kid. In fact, uh, one of my work first, my first two real jobs was actually working for him. I used to mow all of the, the lawns <laughs> of the properties that he owned. And then I started doing some of the construction when he was doing like uh, remodeling or whatever to, to properties. But I saw the rewards of his hard work. He was, you know, very lucrative real estate can be, and he really made a, a great living doing it. And I saw that. And I was very impressed by that from a very young age. And I had that ambition to, there was, for me, there's intrinsic value about being able to have a skill 
and be rewarded for that monetarily as well as in other ways. Mm -hmm. But to be able to start something and to see it grow and to build it and to know that you did that with your hands, your yeah. talent. I mean, man, that's just, that for me, that's awesome. I think you're right on. And if you haven't, if you're thinking like, man, you're wired as an entrepreneur, but you haven't started a business or a company yet, there's going to be a moment where, like, let's say your grandma gave you 50 bucks for your birthday. That feels great. Cool. Right. I'm going to go get 50 bucks for my birthday. You make $50 doing something that you like and that you're good at. Yep. That $50 is worth way more than Absolutely. $50. It makes you feel a whole different way than a gift does. And I know I've experienced over and over again in the last year when I get to do something that I've been wanting to do or I get to charge. And when they pay me for it, it's like, yes, I'm like getting paid <laughs> to do something that I like that is uh, that was tough, but I figured it out and made it work. Yes. And it, it just feels completely different. So let me ask you. So starting a company, growing a business, it's likely made up of hard work and strategy, all the stuff we've been talking about, course corrections, consistencies, inconsistencies that you have to fix and move on. What challenges did you face launching a gym? It was the best way to spend my capital. Yeah. We just kind of alluded to that a little bit earlier. I did a lot of the work, a lot of the upfit myself. I used a general contractor as well. Yeah. But I painted, I had a 5,000 square foot facility that I painted from literally floor to ceiling. And mm -hmm. I mean, I rented an industrial sprayer, an industrial lift. Right. And it took me about a week to get this place done. I laid the floors I and mean, there was just so much, I put so much sweat equity right. uh, into my facility. And in hindsight, I look back and I say, well, should I have spent more of that time maybe networking, maybe working on pre-sales, maybe doing a little bit more marketing prior to the grand opening? And at this point, the answer to that would be yes, but at the same time, I would have significantly cut into mm -hmm. my budget. Yeah. So you just have to find that, that happy medium and find what's going to work best for you and your, you know, your situation. Yeah. Any, any kind of trip ups or mistakes that really could have screwed you over? Oh boy. But you think persevered we need, and you made it through? We need about three more podcasts <laughs> to talk about that. Really? I'll give you the biggest hiccup at the beginning before the doors even opened. Guys, yeah. this right here was, I was like, I really hope this is not the beginning of how things are going to, you know, going to be. So before I opened the facility, I had a conversation with the equipment vendor. I was in November, December of 2016. I didn't open until August, the end of August, is August the 25th. Okay. So almost one September. So talking to the equipment vendor, had all the equipment that I wanted to get, got it narrowed down. That within itself to kind of took an act of Congress, but I had everything set in terms of what I needed and I was ready to go. So the conversation we had, he said, okay, Kenny, from the time you place your order to delivery and installation, it would be two weeks, three weeks max. I was like, great. Yeah. You're nine months out at this point. You're yeah. Like, We're so okay. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> so continue to plan. I go through all the, you know, the, the process and all the steps that I had set in place, executing my plan, what I think is to perfection, step-by-step step by the numbers. I signed the lease one June. Now, I'm a logistician. This was just a rookie business mistake, but I know better. I did not double check with the equipment vendor prior to signing the lease just to confirm our conversation of a two to three week lead time. After I signed the lease, I paid my first month in the deposit. Mm. 
had all the everything turned on, all of the utilities, the cable, the TV, the, the five 50 inch TVs were mounted. Everything is ready to go. Right. And so I, I call the equipment. Yeah, equipment vendor. And I uh, say, okay, I'm ready to place my order. I want my grand opening to be one July. It's one June. I got the keys in my hand to the building. I'm a proud building owner. <laughs> I am ready to launch Frontline. And he said, Kenny, he said, man, I'm so sorry. He said, but you should have called me. He said, that was during our slow season. He said, this is now our peak season. It's a three to four month lead oh, wow. time. Oh, man. I was in the building from one June to one September without any revenue. And I just totally cut into and uh, absorbed all of my buffer money that I had set aside before the doors even opened. (sighs) You want to talk about a gut punch? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Man. Yeah, that's like getting ready to throw a grenade from your foxhole and you drop it and it's a puddle in your your foxhole. You can't find the grenade. That's a rough one, too, because it's not like I could see a lot of people doing that. Like who would really go and call again? But yeah. in hindsight, you're like, sure, it's probably your lead time in December is this, but now it's this. But I, that wasn't the way I was thinking when I was hearing the story. I'm like, yeah, it no, takes three yeah. weeks to get equipment. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, it was, so that right there, that, that was a huge blow. If I had to do anything over again, I would start there. Absolutely. I mean, it was a very simple mistake, but it was a very detrimental and costly mistake. Mm. Yes. I find that so many of the mistakes you know, we make it, they're good. They're learning experiences. So it's something you won't do again. You know, it's, it's a valuable mistake to have made, I I, I guess, but you know, so many business owners trip over their own feet with stuff because there are unexpected things that can come up, you know, whether something with the building that you just had no way to plan for could have come up. It's, it's tough, but I've heard crazy stories about the silliest things, tripping people up, zoning issues, Mm -hmm. permits, this thing that shouldn't be that hard. Uh, turn out being very difficult. Had some issues with, with that as well. I fully expected to be able to close off a room. I had a group fitness room to separate from the rest of the, the health club where we were doing the mm-hmm. weightlifting and boot camps, et cetera. So the group fitness room was for all of the group fitness class, all the typical stuff, yoga, Pilates, et cetera. And I thought it was a go, had my contractor ready to launch. And this time I double checked. <laughs> <laughs> Fire marshal came out and said, nope. You cannot do it. And I was glad because I would have been wasted money. I would have had to tear it all down. It would just have been a disaster. It kind of goes into, you know, advice, ask for forgiveness and not permission. And <laughs> we've tried that a few times. It never works out. No, that doesn't <laughs> work out really so well. Advice, so. <laughs> so there's some situations that doesn't apply. Yeah, like, that would have been one of them. Yeah, yeah. We've tried the same thing. It didn't work. I've seen, I've worked at places where we got burned by thinking that we were fine. And then the fire marshal comes through and like, you get a great fire marshal and they're like, oh man, I hate to tell you this. <laughs> But like, none of this is okay. Yes. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. They're good at that. Switching gears a little bit about applying the lessons that you've learned, I guess, what what one strategy do you think that as a business owner, if somebody opening up a business in our area right now would apply daily to their life, it would have the kind of those long-term payoffs? Well, I would say two things. One is, um, t- and they go hand in hand, time management. Yeah. There are so many things and people vying and competing for your time and attention. Right. You have to set your schedule and then guard it and protect it fiercely. Because if you don't, 
uh, you will never get the things that you want to get accomplished accomplished. You just will not. Right. So you have to be really diligent about that. And the second one goes hand in hand. I used to make a laundry list of different things that I need, wanted to get done for the day, 10, 12, 15 tasks. And I'd only get like five done. So I'd, yeah. I'd feel just beat up at the end of the day. Like I just oh. got so encouraged when you said that, because those are about my numbers too. <laughs> and it's like, oh, it's not just me. I'll sit no, down and right. be like, here's today's list. And I'm writing it thinking I'm not finished. There's no it. way. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to get this I done. I put three weeks of work on there. Like, <laughs> I got this. Today's going to be different. That's, I got away from that though, because I it, it did more harm than good. Yeah. Yeah. So I developed something and I mean, it's not something new. I mean, I'm sure there's many other people who's done this and, and do this on a regular, but I, I just call it my hit list and it's just my top three or four tasks. And if I just say, if there's, if I can only get three or four things done today, yeah. what are those things? And that's my hit list. Yeah. I had a business coach friend that told me a way that really stuck in my mind is like, what are the two or three things that you need to get done or the business doesn't work tomorrow? Yep. And then those are the things that you should do today. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Which when you think about it like that, that mindset gets you working on the business instead of in the business. Cause it gets you elevated on tasks of like finishing that stuff that you barely ever get around to. That's which right. Is like the, the processes side, the system side, the, the things that are really important. Yes. But it's really easy to get distracted by stuff that like you can do or things that are fun for you. Right. Like when you're talking about like painting the walls and something that sounded fun, I would buy an industrial <laughs> sprayer and kill a week doing that. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't that fun. Trust me. <laughs> it does not sound fun to me. <laughs> so in the, in the same vein then what, what systems or processes do you wish that you would have put in place sooner? I'd have to say eliminating clients that are not serious about their health and fitness journey. Mm. Uh, they're wasting their time. They're wasting my time. They're uh, consistently late or no shows. You know, but early on, you need the business. Yeah. You need clients to make the business work. So I was a lot more tolerant and lenient uh, with people like that. Right. But, you know, once you see that you have a product or a service that is of value and that it's effective and you know it works, you don't have a problem with doing that. Right. And, and I don't have a problem with doing that now. I mean, I think that's something that a lot of business owners learned. That idea of firing clients. Like when you first start out in business, it sounds like such an asinine idea. It does. Like, oh yeah, fire clients. Good idea. I guess I'm swimming in business. <laughs> it makes you just want to throat punch the person that gave you that advice. Like, Absolutely. Yeah, I have so much work to do and so many people want to pay me. Um, but that's really not the nature of the advice. I think like in hindsight, when you look at it and like you were saying, once you, you get your processes in place, you understand what everything's work, you start to calculate what your hourly rates are and how right. much money you should be making and what you need to do. And then these clients stick out like, like cards mm -hmm. sticking out of the deck that are like, I'm making like $10 an hour on these people because it's like <laughs> pulling teeth or it's like yeah. so many extra things that, that don't fill in I the blanks. I think that was when I felt the most successful as a business owner is the day that I realized one, we were we were proficient enough in our business, we could identify which clients were costing us time and money, just resources, right. and then being able to, to fire them. But it, it felt like a weight was lifted, you know, yes, you were it does. your wills. And, you know, it was one, it, it was kind of a, you know, removing that weight off your shoulders, but also you're saying like, hey, I'm proficient enough of a business owner that I can do this successfully and right. identify these people. So, That's right. Yeah. You know, because you have those clients that you look at your calendar 
and you see their name and your whole day just like, oh, your, your conscience is like, <laughs> oh, my God, you know, not so-and-so and again. And it's just, it just sucks the life out of you. Yeah. We all have those as business owners. I think the phone call comes in and you're like, oh man, what does she need or whatever, whoever it is. Like you get that feeling of anxiety and dread. For me, I'm kind of a, I'm constantly dealing with like feeling like I'm not good enough. So my first thing is always goes through my mind is like, what did I screw up? I'm always thinking like, oh, what did I forget to do? Did I forget to do something? And I'm referring back to all my lists and all my mental lists and my wife, will, she'll get it. She always laughs because uh, I do these things. I do reviews with with clients, and you mentioned you do this as well. Like I put it, pick a date in the calendar, and say yep. we're going to review. This is how this is how we've grown, etc. This is what we're doing, and I always get myself so nervous and psyched up about those. And I'm like, they're going to fire me. They're going to hate me, and they <laughs> always go great. You know, yep. it's like, hey, this is what the growth looked like. This is what we need to work on. It's a very simple conversation, right? But I think that that's so connected to like, I guess, I don't know what I was saying. Maybe I need I to fire myself. I don't myself. understand those people uh, that just kind of <laughs> wing it and they're comfortable. They're always comfortable. They never get ra- like ruffled up or anything. Yeah. I don't get those people. And I feel like a lot of it's the logistics of it. You know, it's, yeah. it's kind of ties back to that. Yeah. Well, Personality well, type for sure. Yeah. One thing that has, I would say this paid me huge dividends, probably more than anything else is I call it the client VIP treatment. Yeah. And one thing that I've committed to doing for each of my clients, I don't care if I love you or I don't love you so much. That one hour that you spend with me training, I do my best to make it the best hour of their day. Now, granted, you know, (laughs) you say, well, (laughs) some people just loathe working out. So it doesn't matter what you do. They're going to still hate that one hour. Right. But it's all about the approach. I mean, the customer service, the attitude, the level of energy when they come through the doors, like, hey, you know, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Are you ready to get this going? No matter what failures or setbacks you had yesterday or before you got here, put all that to the side for this one hour. We're going to get after it and we're going to have a blast doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a that's a huge part because then you actually get to help them out with their accountability. If you can create an atmosphere where they trust you and like I I train with Brandon and so like I trust him and we get along well. And so when I go in, he's like, how's it going? I'm like, well, I ate like crap. And (laughs) it's it's smart for me to tell him that stuff so he can know and help me put some stuff in place instead of like like the secret shame kind of thing. (laughs) Like, how was this week? Oh, this weekend was bad, man. (laughs) I did not do well at all. And there's been a couple of times where he's like, how you feeling? I'm like, well, I haven't eaten since I guess yesterday. And he's like, crap, eat a banana. You're about to pass out. We're going to work yes. out. What are you doing? <laughs> yes. And, but I think if you don't have that trust with your clientele, that they can come to you and talk to you about what's going on. And plus, I think it's just smart as a way to operate as a human. Right. To just tell people where you're at. Exactly. Um, and I think people want to help you and they don't know how to help you unless you ask for help. And for most of us, we can't ask for help unless we're honest about what we're not good at. And man, this is not some an area where I'm great. <laughs> and then allow people to offer you advice without, you know, snapping at them. <laughs> I, I would say that's probably typical with, with most guys. Yeah. Yeah. That, I've, I've found that. I've uh, said this before on the show and I know my wife probably doesn't think it's funny at all, but I'm great taking advice from anybody but my wife <laughs> and she'll give the best advice consistently. She's a genius. Like her dad has, <laughs> has run multiple businesses. She went to business school. I have no business not doing everything she says I should do. And for some reason I'm like, well, let's just see. I have this like... <laughs> And then somebody else will tell me something. I'm like, you know what somebody I learned today in the podcast? She's like, I told you that. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's funny. I love asking this question because I, I love the diversity of answers that I get. So you were successful in the military, went from a low rank to a high rank. Then you, you started your own company, which is awesome and not easy to do. And what do you think success is? What's the definition of success for mm. you? Success for me would be doing what you set out to do and actually achieving what you set out to achieve. I mean, having spent almost 30 years in the military, you can't, you can't sugarcoat. You're either successful with your mission or you're not. Yeah. I mean, it's just, for me, it's cut and dry. There's no, there's no gray area there. I mean, there's some intangibles that can add to success, but for me, if my, if my uh, mission is to go and take this town and rid it of all of, you know, enemy forces, if I do anything, if I do everything other than that, then I failed at my mission and I wasn't successful. I've had people when I closed my, uh, the health club, my first go around and I, I actually did a video and I put it out on my social media and et cetera. I didn't hide from it. I said, you know, I, I made some costly mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. You know, this date will be my last date, you know, with my health club. It'll be closed and et cetera, et cetera. And I had so many people send me messages and call me and you know, telling me, oh, you know, it's not a failure and blah, blah, blah. And I, I appreciated that. But there was nothing that they yeah. could tell me that would cause me to think any otherwise. And I'm not saying that you know, failure is an end all. I mean, I learned a lot from it. It made me who I am. It's made what I do, my business practices, my business strategy, and, and the thing, the changes that I've made uh, has made me a much more effective business owner. Yeah. So I learned a lot from it. It was costly, costly lessons, but because you fail, it doesn't mean that, you know, that's the end of the game. It doesn't right. mean that you're out of the game. You know, what keeps you out of the game is you. If you can't get your head back in the game, get your wits about you and, you know, find a way to reinvent or to get back out there, then that's, that's true failure. Yeah. I think that's, I think the same thing as success. Like you can, you can set a goal or a, an achieve a thing and then get there. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, so now what? Mm -hmm. I think both failure and success are commas. You know, and I think a lot of us think of them as periods. <laughs> True. You learn something when you make a mistake that makes you better. So you can achieve some success. You achieve some success. You grow. You <laughs> run into stuff you didn't know. You make a mistake, comma. <laughs> it's a journey. It doesn't happen. Yeah. That's right. I like that. <laughs> yeah. That's why I like asking that question. So to follow up, what, what then is the goal for frontline fitness? What, what is it when you do it? You're like, yes, I'm doing what I was supposed to do. <laughs> So at this juncture, I'm still kind of in reset mode. You know, in hindsight, I wish I would have started this way. I have a buddy who owns Snap Fitness. I pay him an overhead. He allows me to operate there as an independent company. So yeah. I still function as frontline fitness. Very so, similar to like what I'm doing here. I'm in a co-working place. So yeah. I'm like exactly. leasing a room from the, the owners of Vibe Carry. And so they're they're paying the main lease and the electricity <laughs> and stuff, and I'm renting a spot from them. So something, something like that. Very similar to that. Yeah. I have a very, very healthy, strong client base now. And uh, so much so, I mean, I have to turn away business and refer them to other colleagues or if they're willing to wait, I could put them on a waiting list. Yeah. So business is going exceptionally well now. And the next step would be, and using some of those lessons learned, I would never have a non-franchise open gym. 
just very, very, very difficult yeah. to compete against the Planet Fitness, the Fitness mm-hmm. Connection, and these other places where you can pay $10 a month. And the amenities just blow some of the smaller competitors out of the water who cannot yeah. afford to only charge, you know, 10, 15 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. You know, in order to make any kind of profit or to be able to cover your overhead, you have to charge a minimum anywhere from $40 and up, right. you know, just for the membership. Is that one of those situations where it's, I don't know, the, the name of the principle was like, almost like you got to have money to make money. Like if you're, if you're Planet Fitness or you're 24 Hour Fitness or one of those people, you can charge so little, get so many people and it's like a Netflix charge. So mm-hmm. it's like, I don't even think about it. It's more work to go down there and cancel it than it is right, to just yeah. give them $10. Now I have to go down there and cancel it. <laughs> well, I'm a, that, yeah, to that point. But also when you start out with the franchise and I, I just had, I had real ambivalent feelings about doing that. I really wanted something that was mine. Yeah. Something that I could start with my own name. The name even has a meaning, obviously frontline fitness. And my tagline is there's only one place to fight a battle. Well, where is that? Well, it's on the front line. And I bring that mentality, you know, to, to my business, you know, with fitness is that, that in, in combat, that's where the fighting is most fierce. It's not for the faint of heart. You know, when you're on the front line, it's ugly. It's grueling. You know, you're going to get dirty. You're going to get hurt, but you trudge through it. And, and that's the, that's the mentality that I bring to fitness. And that's where the name comes from, frontline fitness. So I wanted something that it was, it was not just the, the cookie cutter, you know, franchise type deal that they were all the same. I wanted something that spoke to what I believed in and did the majority of my life. And that's really what spawned me or spurred me to, you know, create my own name. Yeah. But with that being said, it won't, it, I would never do it in, in terms of having an open gym. It would be a small personal PT studio, which is what drives the train. I learned as well. And the big box gyms also, so they can afford to charge the, you know, 10, 20 bucks a month. As long as their PT program is thriving. Yeah. Personal training pays the bills at any health club, not really just the memberships. The memberships help and that's great. But if your PT program fails in the health club, your health club will fail eventually. Yeah. Those are some powerful lessons to have learned. Oh, <laughs> boy. <laughs> Do you feel like any of that came up when you were talking to people early on or? Not at all. And, I, <laughs> and I'm like. It's a little salty. You know, I could have saved. The, I would have spent the money, the extra money on the equipment if I could have just got those tidbits. <laughs> right. Yeah. So crazy. Like there's yeah. just the things we don't learn unless we do it. Just a metaphor for life, you know? Yes. And the thing is, is like, like if we, have, if we approach things like they are commas, like your story's not over. You no. retired so early. I yes. mean, you're not the, when I think of retirement, I think of like the 70 year old grandpa who's mm-hmm. buying the comfy chair <laughs> and uh, he's going to just buy a Winnebago and drive around and kill some time, you know, kind of stuff. Not so much. But uh, <laughs> retiring at like 46, you still have a whole nother life there. Absolutely. And how do people get a hold of you? Like, how do people engage your services? Uh, you can hit me up on my website. It's frontlinefitness.fit, F-I-T, uh, social media platforms at Frontline Fitness and the number one. Uh, just reach out to me. I'd be glad to help you. Uh, we'll set up a, uh, an assessment slash consultation. That's how I begin all with all of my clients. Whether you know you want to train or you just want information. I'll take everybody through the full assessment. And essentially what that'll do is that will establish a baseline for this moment in time, what your current health and fitness looks like. Yeah. 
then we discuss your goals to make sure that they're within the realm of reality and actually achievable <laughs> in a certain amount of you know time, what, it, what that timeline looks like. And then together, we formulate a plan to get you from where you currently are to where you want to be. Okay. And that's all inclusive nutrition, workouts outside, you know, working out or training with me to include our sessions as well. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, I wish you continued success, Kenny. Thank you. I'm excited to see Thanks what comes after me, the comma. It's been a blast. That's <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah. Thanks for filling in, Nolan. No problem. Great. Happy to be here. Josh, if you're listening to this, enjoy the Get better. The couch. That's right. He's supposed better. to be off his leg, I think, for <laughs> almost two months, man. Oh, man. we laid up. Wow. But I'll go pick him up, have him do some shows. That's right. There you go. <laughs> it's, his, it's his driving foot. I realized that this morning when I was thinking about him. It's his right foot. You can just set up a microphone on the couch, remote in. Just Skype him in. Yeah, Skype him in. I'll just put a fake microphone on the couch because he's on a lot of medication right now. He won't know the difference. <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, thanks again for being on. And I uh, appreciate it. You guys have a great week. You too. Love making this stuff for you. You can help us out by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Get unstuck, tell a better story, and have a good answer to the question What are you doing today?